Welcome to the Nach Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today we are going to be learning and discussing chapter 23, Chaf Gimel. But first, let me offer an overview of what we learned over the weekend independently, chapters 21 and 22. In chapter 21, we learned about the cities given to the tribe of Levi, speckled throughout all of Canaan, and we discussed that a bit uh, when we spoke about Perek Chaf, uh, chapter 20. And then in chapter 22, we encounter a self-contained, very dramatic story. And I want to spend a few minutes discussing chapter 22. Reuven, God, and Chatzishevet Menashe return to the Transjordan after fulfilling their promise to Moshe Rabbeinu that they would aid the nation in conquering Canaan. They don't fully complete the job, as we know, but much of Canaan is conquered, and so they are permitted to go back to their land in the Transjordan. Immediately upon returning home, there is trouble. We are told that they build an altar, a giant altar, which naturally raises a red flag for the rest of the nation living in Canaan. It seems that they are creating their own religious center to rival or supplant the Mishkan. Perhaps worse yet, they may be abandoning the Israelite faith altogether and turning toward a local pagan practice. The Bnei Israel get themselves ready for war against the two and a half tribes in the Transjordan for their act of seeming disloyalty. And just like that, we find ourselves on the cusp of civil war, a major crisis. But fortunately, rather than rush to war, the tribes in Canaan begin by sending a delegation across the Jordan, led by Pinchas, which is an interesting choice. What they discover is that the Transjordanian tribes did not set up this altar as a demonstration of disloyalty. It was just the opposite. In a kind of heartbreaking explanation, in my opinion, Ruvain, God, and Chatzishevet Menashe explain that they set up this altar out of fear, that one day the tribes of Canaan proper would not recognize them as part of the nation. And so this altar was meant as a monument signifying their place within the rest of the Bnei Israel. It was a symbolic act of unity, not disunity. Everyone is pleased with this explanation, and thankfully the crisis is averted. The question that we have to ask ourselves as readers and learners of Sefer Yehoshua is, why do we learn this story? Why is it recorded? It amounts to little more than a false alarm, without which Sefer Yehoshua lacks nothing. And so why is it here? And I'd like to present a twofold answer to that question. The first one is a bit cynical. The tribes of Ruven Gad and Chatzishevet Menashe so badly wanted to be in the Transjordan, despite Moshe discouraging them from doing so, despite the fact that it was not the land that was promised to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And now, they finally get their wish, and they return home. And they do so only to realize that this thing that they've been dreaming of may not have been such a good idea after all. Suddenly, they realize the potent danger that they have exposed themselves to in not listening to Moshe's warning and essentially cutting themselves off from the rest of the nation. And that touches on a second, more global reason that I think this story may have been recorded. And that is that it offers us a window into the fragile nature of the nation that Yehoshua is going to leave behind when he passes away. Look how easily a miscommunication nearly escalates into war. 
And unfortunately, in the forthcoming books that we're going to learn together soon, we are going to encounter civil war. And this shows us, this first example, this near miss, shows us how tenuous the national unity is at this moment in our history. So those are the two reasons I believe this parak is recorded and, uh, and why it, it, it offers us an important insight into, I guess, Ruven, God, Chatzis, Shevet, Menashe, getting their wish. So it gives us that kind of, now they got their wish, and look how it turned out for them. And then also it gives us a window into the nature of the, uh, of the nation and, and the state of its unity, the tenuous state of their national unity. And that brings us to Perek Chaf Gimel, today's Perek, which in truth pairs together with the final Perek, uh, uh, chapter 22, 24 rather. They are a kind of unit, although they are distinct, because the two Prakim are the farewell address of Yehoshua. 23 is addressed by Yehoshua to the leadership of B'nai Israel, and 24 is addressed to the entire nation. This is the Sefer Devarim of Sefer Yehoshua. Just as Moshe gives his farewell speech to B'nai Israel in Sefer Devarim in the Torah, here Yehoshua follows suit. In fact, there is not a pasuk in Parakhaf Gimel that is not a transparent allusion. It's more than just an allusion. It's, it's just quoting, basically, Sefer Devarim. Like Moshe, the speech that he's going to give to the leadership and the people uh, will offer broad historic perspective of Hashem's kindness to the Bnei Israel, the trajectory of the nation. It will include promises of bounty and success in the, uh, if the nation heeds Hashem's words and stays loyal. Uh, and, uh, and on the contrary, if the Bnei Israel stray from the path, it is... Um, is very heavy-handed. It is focused on all of the punishment and all of the suffering that the Bnei Israel will receive uh, for, for stray. It also concludes with a covenant. So in many ways, this is very clearly the Sefer Devarim of Sefer Yehoshua. Now let me leave you with just one additional observation, a pretty straightforward observation. And that is that most leaders at the end of their tenure want to stand up and tout their accomplishments. They want, they want their presidential library. They want to give everyone a glimpse, a kind of broad perspective on look, look where we were, look where we are, and they want to tout themselves as leaders. They want a monument to themselves, either literary or in stone. Not so when it comes to Moshe, and not so when it comes to Yehoshua. Their focus in these final addresses, Sefer Devarim at the very, and the very end of Sefer Yehoshua, is not on what they've accomplished, but on B'nai Yisrael's mandate going forward, their challenges going forward, and the punishments that await them if they prove disloyal to Hashem and fail to live up to their mandate. Moshe and Yehoshua are both deeply, selflessly, and singularly concerned with the future welfare of the B'nai Yisrael. They are not interested in applaud. They just want B'nai Israel to succeed. And that is so beautiful that in their final act, they demonstrate just how selfless and how altruistic they are. Certainly something worth noting and certainly something worth learning from. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.